Well, good morning, Lamar Avenue. Ah, it's good to have you here this morning on a cold, rainy, cloudy day in Northeast Texas. As I was uh, experiencing this week, I drove about 850 miles and lots of grief this week. A good friend of mine, uh, 62 years old, had a stroke, gone. His funeral was Friday. Learned that my cousin, 82 years old, had his leg amputated, just lost hope, blood clots, and I drove to Springdale, Arkansas to be with him and his family, and they said, would you pray? Dad's just tired of being here. He's not very responsive. I'm sure he's hearing everything we're saying. So I gathered the family around the bed, and I said something like this. Lord, we are grateful for the life of Damon Stockton. But my cousin Damon is really, really tired. And Lord, he's worn out and he's ready to go. Help him understand it's okay to go. Please, Jesus, help. One of my cousins walked me out of the room about 10 feet from the hall and another cousin came out and said, Grady, don't leave yet. Come back in. Dad's not breathing. He said, you gave him exactly what he needed. He wanted to go. And he left. Also this week, went to Claremore, Oklahoma, and part of that trip, and visited with my 92-year-old adopted mother who kind of helped raise me. Her husband was my preacher, uh, kind of like an adopted dad, and uh, Brother Lay from McAllister, Oklahoma. And I went to the nursing home to visit her. Hadn't seen her in a while walked in, she starts crying, I leaned down, kissed her on the cheek, said, would you help me die today, I'm tired, broke my heart, and I drove <clears throat> back to Oklahoma City and to Blanchard in Lawton, Oklahoma, I came in from Lawton, Oklahoma last night, and as I was driving here in the rain last night, I was thinking, I'm glad I'm going to Lamar Avenue because I feel loved here. And if you don't like me, get over it. <laughs> but I did. My wife said, are you tired? I said, yeah, I've called you twice to keep awake on the road. She said, well, I'm, I'm baking and cooking. Could you call somebody else? <laughs> For Christmas, we're having 23 people over this next Saturday. And I said, okay, honey. So I called a couple of friends, stopped and got me a Coke to drink. And, but I, 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 she said, you're going to be okay. I said, yeah, I'm going to Lamar Avenue. I'm going to be fine. I enjoy those people. They feel like my people. I, I, I love their hugs, their handshakes, their teasing. And so it's good to be here this morning with you as God's people. Thank you. I need you this morning, and I'm grateful for that, and I want to persevere well. And I want to minister well. Lord, I ask you this morning to pour out on me the gift of preaching to people who need encouragement that you're a God who comes alongside of us, who takes risks, who makes himself vulnerable for the sake of the world. Give us wisdom to live well. Give us a love for your word and your people. By all means, Father, help us make a difference in the world. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning, or open your iPads or your iPhones or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 2. 
We began the service with reading from Matthew 2, 1 through 7. I want to begin in Matthew 2, verse 8. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child and with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left their, for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, when Herod heard or saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, wise men, he was indignant, he was infuriated, he was angry, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under according to the time that he had learned from the wise man. Wise man. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. The empire. The empire is not Darth Vader. The empire was Rome. The church gathered in homes during this time, living on the margins of the culture. No church buildings, none. And the culture was certainly not Christian. Cultural tensions persisted in the church between Jewish people and Gentile people over different ways of life. There were no Bibles, they were dependent on oral tradition, teaching of the apostles, and an occasional letter from Paul or maybe even Peter. This is the world of the first century church for a long time. All around them looked and felt like Rome was in charge. It felt like evil was winning. Do you hear me, church? They had questions as to when Jesus would return. There were lots of false prophets spreading, spreading all kinds of rumors. This is the world of the first century church. Does any of that sound familiar? Particularly the part, it seems at times that evil is winning. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we all feel it, don't we? I mean, we all feel this chaos in our culture. Amen to that. Amen is okay. Women can say amen. It's just fine. I'm giving you permission. You're not usurping anybody's authority. 
Come on tomorrow. Let's participate. Pretend I'm a good preacher. That's right. Come on now, church. That's how I grew up. It appears that evil is winning at times in our own day and time, doesn't it? We all feel it. We all see it. The brokenness in humanity, right? So many things are just broken and, and can't be fixed. And politics is not going to fix it. And, and education is not going to fix it. And technology is not going to fix it. And more, more science and research is not going to fix it. We all feel this, this inescapable sense that the world is spinning out of control. Can I get an amen to that? You feel it at nighttime. You feel it in the daytime. You feel it in your heart. You feel it when you, when you go to the store. You feel it in your neighborhoods. You read it in your papers. You listen to it on the news. Unless you just don't listen, which I'm close to not doing that. The angst and the anger and the human spirit seems to be just under the surface all the time. Do you feel it? Do you sense it in your friends, people, all around you? The pervasiveness of evil. Years ago, there was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn who defected from Russia. And Solzhenitsyn was uh, quite a scholar and quite an intelligent person and he made this statement that has become very popular, that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor even between political parties, but right through every human heart, indeed all human hearts. Did you hear that? That the line between good and evil is not out there. The line between good and evil is in here. It's in this room, it's in my spirit, it's in my heart. It, it's the struggles that we all have. So what does God have to say to that? Matthew 2 is what he has to say to that. Shh. Shh. Be really quiet. Listen closely, and you'll hear a Christmas story that you won't find in Dillard's or at Saks Fifth Avenue or on television or any Christmas play or story or any manger scene that might be anywhere we would put it. Listen closely to Matthew chapter 2. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Shh. It's the thundering of horses. It's the clanging of Roman imperial power with swords and shields and might. Mounted on those horses on the nine-mile mission of Herod. Nine miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to the small town of Bethlehem. With these marching orders, kill every chi male child under age two. And as they move in to the streets, and the thundering sound of the horses and the clanging of the military armaments of power of the empire, 
grab children and knock down doors and take them from the arms of mothers who are screaming and slay them and kill them right there. This is no ordinary Christmas story. Hear me, church. This is not a domesticated, sweet little manger scene. This is death. These are mothers screaming. Have you ever been in a hospital when a mother lost a baby? You ever been there? Maybe it's you this morning that lost that child. It was a weeping and a wailing. Have you ever been with parents on the side of a road when a car is totaled and two teenagers are dead and they have to walk up and identify their own children and listen to the screams and the wailing and the moaning and the crying out to God, why God, not my child, not my child, not my child. Then you're in Matthew 2's world. And Jeremiah calls us to remember that world. There's loud wailing, there's loud lamentation. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because, listen to the text, they are no more. Now you're in the Matthew story of Christmas. It doesn't fit in Dillard's, does it? doesn't fit manger, sweet little manger scenes. It doesn't fit in nice little books about the sweet baby Jesus. Oh, no. This is no saccharine, domesticated Christmas story. This is no play for children. This is an adult story of violence and power and intimidation. That's what it is. If you've lived very long, then you've experienced some violence and you've experienced some power abused and you've experienced some intimidation by adults. This is our story, folks. This is what we hold to. This is what addresses the brokenness, the chaos, the inability of technology and science and all the digital world we live in to even begin to address the deepest recesses of people's hearts and soul and mind. People desperately need a story that's real and tangible and need a God that understands what it means to be in that kind of world. Amen, church? This is the Christmas story. The story we call Christmas. It's about violence and power and threat. It's our story, and it's about one word I want you to remember today. One word. It's not, it's not hard, but it is hard. This is about vulnerability. Why was Herod threatened by the birth of a baby? Why? Maybe it's he knew the implications of the, of the wise men who were astrologers, Gentile move for Matthew, of bringing in the Gentile mission. Here's the Gentiles who were astrologers who read the stars. And there are angels in this text, and there's spiritual forces at work in this text. Then these people probably came from Babylon and Persia, which is 700 miles away from Bethlehem. They've been coming a long time following the star. It's an incredible story. It's a powerful story. It's a story that's almost unbelievable. Here's the Gentiles that are coming in. Here's Herod that's intimidated and threatened. Here's Herod that's angry and out of control over the birth of a child. This is our story. 
And I want you to remember vulnerability. Why? Why? Because it's a story of us being afraid. It's a story of unrelenting tears and deep loss. It's a story of deep hope out of all of that pain. It's a story of crying out to God, why? And it's not an easy story. It's a story of people crying out, where are you, God? Do you know the number one reason people struggle with faith in God? And more specifically, Christian faith? What's the number one reason? Human suffering. Human suffering is the greatest single hindrance to people's faith in God and the faith of the God in God of the Bible and of the Christian story. And people that have never read the Bible, if you just give it to them and have them walk through it, there's lots of problems they have with Scripture. How could a good God, you know the rest of this, don't you? Allow, how, well, there's so much death and violence, and it seems to be some of it, even the Old Testament, is by the hand of God. You're telling me this holy, righteous, good God you believe in is a God who allows, who sometimes causes, it causes people great struggle. We read it in a cavalier way. We grew up with it. We just accept it. Well, you know, God's holy. That's just God. Wait, don't take that so easy. Don't make that so easy a jump. It's hard for people. Doctors in hospitals and giving bad news face it every day of their life. People in the medical community, they have to give bad news to people, good people, godly people, to say it's metastasized. It's not long and I know they're way too young, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but even if, with our aggressive attempts at chemo and radiation and everything we have to throw at it, we don't give, you much of a, give that loved one much of a chance. So we fall on our knees and we cry, and we, we beg God, and we want faith. We're people of faith. And then they pass away, people say, yeah, what about your faith? You believe in this good God? You prayed and prayed and prayed and they're gone. Human suffering is the greatest hindrance to Christianity. Do you know what the second greatest hindrance to Christian faith is and to trusting God? The second greatest hindrance. You're looking at him, me. Christian people and the way they act in the face of crisis the way they treat one another, the way they respond to evil, the way they respond, that's the greatest hindrance. It always has been through Scripture. The name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jewish people who said that God's our God. Romans chapter 2. The name of God is being blasphemed, spoken against, spoken evil of, defamed because of the way you people who claim to know God are acting. See, suffering is number one, and then the second one is the way God's people treat one another and the way God's people respond to people in the world in pain and handle how they deal with evil. Well, since my five minutes that Jimmy promised is up, I'll keep it simple this morning. One thing about God and one thing about us here at Lamar Avenue. What does all this say about who God is? Have you ever thought of the vulnerability of God? 
Put that in your literature class at school. Have you ever thought about the God that we serve all through Scripture made himself, his very essence, vulnerable as a holy God for the sake of the world? That's an incredible thing to think about. The Muslim God doesn't. Same God from their viewpoint. But what do you do with all the violence? And not all Muslims are that way, by the way. You don't want to be stereotyped as a Christian at Lamar Avenue, then be careful about our stereotypes and treat people as human beings. Have you thought about God being vulnerable? What other religion in the whole world has a God who comes down? Who basically takes a risk. Not basically does, he takes a risk. Isn't that right? He took a risk with Adam and Eve. He took a risk with Noah. He took a risk with Abraham. And there's times through the story of God that you're wondering, my goodness, is, how's it going to turn out? If you didn't know the end of the story you're reading, you're thinking, wow, this is great literature. How in the world is this thing going to turn out? I've got to read to the end of it. I mean, this is better than Luke Skywalker. I've got to read to the end of it. If you don't know the end of the story you're reading, you're thinking, wow, look how pitiful these human beings are. And here's this God that works with them anyway. And, and brings them along and keeps his promise. And Abraham, Abraham had plenty of opportunities that God had to be going, oh my goodness, not again. What about David? You want to take David? You want to take any of the prophets? That's why the Bible's not about good people in the Bible trusting God. The Bible's about God and God alone and his incredible grace and mercy in our lives that he even allows us to be here. Oh. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we follow. It's not a God that's yearning to, if we step out of line, he's going to get us. It's a God that says, I'm going to get you any way you go about it, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to sustain you, and I'm going to give you grace, and I'm going to help you because I know you're not perfect. I just ask you to be devoted. But you ever thought about God taking a risk? Now, vulnerability, is it seen as a strength or a weakness? Now, if you're John Wayne, it's a weakness. And I know some of us Northeast Texas cowboys are pretty tough people. And John Wayne's our hero, and Jesus gets thrown in there with John Wayne. Is vulnerability seen as a strength or a weakness? When someone's honest and vulnerable... This is where I am. This is where I'm what I'm struggling with. Is vulnerability seen as a good thing or a bad thing? And it depends a lot on generations. I kind of bridge both generations. The silent greatest generation that Tom Brokaw writes about. Many of you are in this room. Some of you are in this room of that generation. Strong, dedicated faithful, trustworthy, do-what-is-right people. Then there's another generation that still wants that but haven't had the experiences you've had so they don't have some of the depth you have with that. But they do care. Vulnerability has two sides to it. One is openness and transparency and honesty. The other side is deep, great risk. 
It's risky to be vulnerable with someone, is it not? Just ask marriages who have been stuck for years. And the wife yearns for a vulnerability in a husband and still hasn't seen it after 40 years. I hear it as a minister. I've experienced it in my own family, in my own marriage at times, my own nature. That's why the line is not out there. The line's in my own heart. That's where it is. So back to God. God made himself vulnerable and took a risk. He opened himself up to the possibility that Herod could have found Jesus. Oh, no, no, God made a promise, and God's going to find a way. Take that off the table. If you don't know the whole story, you're nervous, aren't you? If you're reading it for the first time, aren't you nervous? Aren't you thinking, oh, my goodness. You see, Matthew writes it to the church to help them understand that God provides and God makes a way and God takes care of things. But as people experience things, you don't always feel like God's going to do that. Amen to that? As you go through things, you don't always experience that. So God takes risk. God takes risk. We serve a vulnerable God. That's what Jesus becoming flesh is all about. So that's what I want you to know about God. And number two... Here's the second thing. If God made himself vulnerable for us and we're his people and to be imitators of God, we are called to be vulnerable for the sake of the world. Think of the most vulnerable in our culture. Lamar County has a high degree of children who are at risk every day who live in poverty. You know those stats if you follow Lamar County news at all. If you know in the school systems... Lamar County has all kinds of issues to deal with, and God's saying, okay, Lamar Avenue, unity of all believers, reconciling of all things, moving out and serving the community, with the community. What's he asking you to do as a church? Not that you don't do some of it now. He's asking you to be vulnerable more fully, to be open to take risks. Churches that only want to play it safe will die. I said that as strong as I know how to say it. Churches that only want to play it safe and not take risk and not create new ministry and not join the community to minister and not be open in their life and their hospitality. Churches that close themselves off and just do their own thing the way they've always done it those churches will not survive. Why? It's inconsistent with the nature and character of God. Be imitators of me. That's what he says. Be imitators of God. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be imitators. If, we're, if the Christmas story is our story, then we have to think in terms and act in terms of vulnerability. Does that make sense? Vulnerability, vulnerability. That means Openness and transparency. A good friend of mine was an elder for years at a church. And uh, <clears throat> he was really close to the preacher who had been there a long time. He golfed with him. He fished with him. Took family vacations with him. Did all that. When that preacher left that church, he went privately to the rest of the elders and said, you can't trust him. Be careful. You see, this friend of mine that shared with, this, with, the, with the preacher 
He was very vulnerable and open as a shepherd, shared what he thought on the golf course, on trips. He thought, we, we, we're really good friends. And then when the preacher left, he told the other elders, watch out for him. What kind of friend is that? What kind of life is that? My friend, the elder, had made himself vulnerable to the preacher and the preacher burned him. See, if you're going to be vulnerable, you're going to get hurt. My wife and I go through this all the time. Honey, you just share too much. You just open up too much. You've got to be careful. You just can't, you know. I said, thank you, dear. I appreciate that very much. She says, I know you mean well, but you know, there's people you just can't trust certain people. I said, I understand that. I try to be discerning, but I am not going to be anything except who I am in Christ. I'm not asking you to be that. I'm saying I'm called to be honest and open. And she says, but you don't have to do that with it. I said, okay. This morning, it's been more than five minutes. I hope you've been blessed. God is a vulnerable God. Will Lamar Avenue be a vulnerable church? If you're not already, move that direction because that's who God is. And here's the big news. Because he was vulnerable and he provided in a way, Herod dies. They return. Jesus grows up, shows us what, who God is, goes to a cross, dies, buried, resurrected by the power of God again, sits at the right hand of the Father and says, I died for you, come to me. You need to do that this morning. We'll baptize you into God, Christ, and baptism is a vulnerable act. Let's stand and sing.